So it's good to see everybody here um, on this rainy day uh, that just came out. Uh, it was a nice little break to have a little bit of warmth, but I'm glad it's going to get cold because um, I think when it's Thanksgiving, right, it should always be, it should be cold. So maybe I'm in the minority on that. Um, have you guys heard the expression, confession is good for the soul? Anybody heard that? Yeah, okay, well... I need to confess. Uh, Patty Ann, I made some last-minute changes last night, and so the outline is not correct. So I'm very, very sorry. I will do my best for it never to happen again, but I can't guarantee that it won't. So So I feel better. I don't don't know about anybody else. um, So let's pray. Father, we just uh, we thank you for this time that you've given us. Uh, we thank you, Father, that uh, your word says that your mercies are new uh, every day that you've given us this time. Uh, Father, we thank you that you created this institution called the church and that we can be part of it, dear God. Uh, we thank you that you are the one that is building this church and that we can partner with you in it. And uh, Father, would you just, uh, would you be with us today? Uh, Father, I don't want these to be my words. Um, I want them to be yours. And uh, would you just help us to make much of you uh, today, dear God? Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, um, you might be wondering at today's topic. Is that echoing, or is that just me? I'm good? Okay. Talking about church membership, because here at Lion and Lamb, we don't have a formal type of church membership that probably a lot of people are used to. Um, no, you know, let me set my timer. That'd be good, wouldn't it? I'll sit up here and talk forever, and you guys will... Okay. That was free. So. Um, okay. So we don't have a we don't have a formal church membership. I have a come from a back Baptist background, and you were on you were on the church rolls, right? Any any former Baptists or any right? Okay. Um, so yeah, so you were on the church rolls, and once you got on the church rolls, you never. I don't even think if you died, you came off the church rolls, uh, right? So there's probably Baptist churches that have people been dead for twenty, thirty years that are still on the rolls. Um, you know, the New Testament doesn't explicitly speak about a formal type of church membership. So it doesn't speak about um, being put on a list or being put on a roll or something like that. Um, but what is clear from the New Testament um, is that, it's particularly in Acts and in other places, that the believers were uh, united. So there was a, there was a loving commitment to each other and a bonding to each other. So um, even though we don't practice a type of uh, formal church membership, I think it's beneficial for us to understand what it means to be part of the church and what it means to be a member of a church. And uh, so I don't want to get into... um, I don't want to get into a, a debate over whether the way we do it is uh, more correct than the way a Baptist church does it. 
Um, that's not the point. What I want to do is I want to talk about some principles that we can all wrap our heads around that no matter what kind of church you find yourself in, if you leave here and you go somewhere else, uh, and it is a more formal membership church, that, that those would apply. Um, so before I do that, uh, here's where we're going. Uh, this is kind of our roadmap. So, so I want to talk about what the church is. I want to talk about a couple of privileges of being a church member and then some responsibilities of a church member. Um, and before we do that, I wanted to highlight uh, a survey or a couple of surveys that were taken recently uh, that I think speak to, to this problem. They were taken by two different organizations. Uh, one is for sure an evangelical organization. The other one I'm not sure of. So one was a survey conducted by the Barna Group, and that was conducted in March of this past year. And uh, that survey found that 23% of Americans uh, had not attended church within the past year. And they define church as either you know, a brick-and-mortar building like we have or a Bible study or a home group or something like that. So that's how Barna defined church, 23%. You know, and to be honest, that wasn't that surprising a statistic to me. Um, I actually thought it was going to be a little bit higher. Um, but here's the surprising part of that study. So out of those people that said they had never darkened the door of a church within the past year, 17% of them self-identified as born-again evangelical Christians. There's always a danger in surveys, right? Because you ask the wrong question, you get a completely different answer. So, so here's what Barna said um, was an evangelical Christian. Uh, people who have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that they consider to be very important in their life and who believe that they will experience heaven after they die because they have confessed their sins and accepted Christ as their Savior. Now, that sounds pretty orthodox, right? I would, I would say that hopefully uh, counts for most of us. Okay, the second survey is uh, from Ligonier, Ligonier Ministries, which is uh, the teaching ministry of R.C. Sproul. Uh, my children refer to him as R.C. Squirrel, uh, much to my displeasure and dismay, uh, raging a bunch of pagans. Um, so that survey, the Ligonier survey, found that uh, 30% of Protestant evangelical Christians um, say that worshiping with their family, so just your family, not anybody else, not a gathering of believers, not a Bible study, just worshiping with your family uh, is an acceptable substitute for regular church attendance. And then 41% of Protestant evangelicals that do attend church don't believe that what they hear at church has any authority over their life or has any application in their life. Um, so, so what does that tell us? Um, you know, it tells us a couple of things. There's, there's a lot of people that are not going to church, and then there's a, a, a significant portion of people that are in the church uh, that don't believe that what they hear is binding or has any meaning for their life. Um, And those survey results are, they are the direct opposite of what Scripture teaches, right? Um, you know, Scripture teaches that we, we, need to be, we need to be gathering together, and then what you hear, um, you know, hopefully those that teach 
we've we've prepared and we've prayed, and so yes, it's us speaking, but it's speaking what God has told us, right? So what I say isn't binding on you, but if I'm rightfully dividing the scriptures, then what the scriptures are talking, saying is binding. It's binding on all of us. And um, so anyway, those are the two survey results. So I wanted us to look at a little bit of what the scripture says about the church, and then we'll talk about um, privileges and responsibilities. So uh, scripture uses lots of metaphors for the church. Uh, they're listed on your on your study sheet. I'm not going to go through all of them in detail in the interest of time. Um, scripture talks about uh, the church being a family. So right there in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, it talks about don't rebuke an older man, uh, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And so the idea there is, uh, you know, that would be, in somebody's list of family rules, right? Treat each other with respect. If somebody's older, you treat them with respect. Uh, so you can see that uh, the church is, was meant to be a family. Uh, some of the other uh, metaphors are, Scripture talks about uh, the church as being branches, uh, branches on an, on an olive tree. talks about... Uh, being a vine, right? John 15, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, talks about being a field and a building, a house and a bride. Um, and then probably the one that we're most familiar with, and I'll spend a little bit of time talking about this, is uh, the metaphor of the church as a body. And Paul uses a couple of body type metaphors um, for the church. Um, the first one is in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. And um, you're probably all familiar with that one. So that's where Paul says that uh, we are all uh, members. We all have different functions. So not everybody is an ear. Not everybody's a nose. Not everybody is an eye, right? And as Kent talked about earlier, just a little while ago, um, it takes all of us to uh, work interde- interdependently for the body to function. And, you know, one of the things about Scripture that makes me convinced, there's several things that make me convinced, but one of the things that makes me convinced about Scripture is divinely inspired is that we see spiritual principles in Scripture in the physical world. So, um, for example, your physical bodies... Uh, do what this is talking about, right? Your physical bodies, they're all interdependent. You all need, they all different have members. So we have hands, we have feet, we have toes. Uh, and all those have to work together for the whole body to function correctly. We've all experienced those times where that doesn't happen, either through illness or uh, overuse or age or um, any of those things. Um, happened to me a couple of weeks ago when we went rock climbing with Mosaic. Uh, we got there, I was fresh, my hands were working, uh, everything was great. We climbed for a couple of hours and all of a sudden my hands weren't closing, uh, my arms couldn't lift, I tried to pour coffee that night and my hands were doing this. Right? So it didn't matter how much my mind or uh, wanted to climb, uh, my body wasn't going to do it. And so 
there was no more climbing. Um, you know, and that's, that's important for us to realize that we're all, we're all different, we're all giftedly different, right? Um, and that we all have a, a contributory part to play. Because uh, you know what? You may come to church and you may think, I don't have anything to give. Uh, and you hold back from serving, or you hold back from getting involved, or you hold back from being in a small group. And uh, there are things, Scripture talks about that there are good works that we've been preordained to do, right? Well, there are preordained good works that only you can do. And when you don't do them for whatever reason, the body suffers because of it. So there's things that only you can contribute to the body. And the body is lesser when you don't contribute those things. Um, <clears throat> I heard something pretty convicting. This was about a month ago, I think. Um, and it was from Greg Laurie. You guys know who Greg Laurie is? Um, some of you do. Anyway, he is a pastor out in California, and he does these um, harvest crusades, uh, kind of like a Billy Graham type thing, but on a smaller scale. And so anyway, Greg Laurie was talking, and, and this is what he said. Um, he said, what would the church look like if everyone loved like you did, gave like you did, served like you did, and witnessed like you did? So that, that was a little painful to hear, right? Uh, you know, just think, uh, if everybody uh, contributed to the body the way I contribute to the body, what would the body look like? So um, we're all needed to do our part. The other body metaphor that's used in Scripture is uh, as the church is an entire body and Christ is the head. Um, if you went to the men's advance, you heard this from Dr. Agin, from Jimmy Agin, right? Uh, he was talking about as Christ is the head of the church, or as Christ is the head of the man and the man is the head of the woman. And he talked about, you know, think about what happens when a body loses its head. Uh, I don't want to be graphic or anything, but... Right, it ceases to function uh, because it's held together. The head is what holds the body together. The head is what provides uh, the direction to the other organs to keep functioning. The head is providing direction. Um, I'm teaching Mariah to drive. She got her license. And uh, so one of the things we're focusing on is where your eyes are is where the car is going to go, right? So if you're looking over here, the car is going to go that way. If you're looking over here, the car is going to go that way. Uh, so you have to you have to keep your head focused on uh, in front of you. And um, you know, in Colossians two nineteen, uh, Paul is warning the church about false doctrine. And one of the things he says is that those that are teaching false doctrine that they have failed to hold fast to the head, which is Christ. Um, and so we need, uh, we need to, to understand that we're the body, but we need to hold fast to Christ who's our head. So what does it mean uh, that Scripture uses so many different metaphors? Um, you know, does it mean that Jesus and Paul and the other writers uh, of Scripture, that they like to speak in metaphors, or, or that was the way they, they did it in ancient times? Um, well, it could be. But as I said before, each of these teaches us a little bit about what the church is, what God's relation to the church. So when um, you know, it speaks of the metaphor as the church being the bride of Christ, 
that's an intimate portrait. Um, it talks about Christ's intimacy with his church, his love for his church. Christ gave himself for the church uh, so that he could present her to the Father holy and blameless and spotless. When it talks about uh, the church being a field or a building that speaks to ownership, uh, Christ, God owns the church, and he is building the church up. He's building that field. Um, when it talks about, the, you know, we just talked about the body, um, is that we are the means that God uses to advance his kingdom and uh, to reach others for the gospel. Um, there's more that we could talk about, but I want to keep everybody awake, and in the interest of time, um, I won't do that. So, um, so hopefully we've gotten a little bit clearer picture of what the church is and so I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the privileges of being a church member. Um, there's many that we could talk about. Um, we could get specific, but I wanted to kind of stay at a high level and, and just talk about two that I think encompass a lot of other things. And the first one is adoption. Um, Romans 8.15 Excuse me. Says that we have received the spirit of adoption, and Galatians four four five says that God sent Christ in the fullness of time, so that we could be adopted, so that we could have sonship. Um, now, Steve, where are you? Okay, so <laughs> pay attention. Um, okay, so the Greek word. I looked this up. I'm not a Greek scholar. I looked it up in a lexicon. Uh, I'm going to see if I can pronounce it. So the Greek word for adoption in Romans and Galatians is huiathesia. I get that close? Yeah, maybe? Okay. Um, And it means the place and condition of a son given to one to whom it does not naturally belong. Okay? So uh, you're not naturally a son, but you're given the place of a son. In ancient Rome, it was fairly common for noble families who either didn't have a son, maybe the son had died, or um, they just didn't have a son at all, or for some other reason the son was unable to inherit. It was common for them to um, to adopt a slave. I'm going to date myself here. Uh, does anybody remember the movie Ben-Hur? Oh, yeah, so good. There's more people. I was thinking nobody would. Everybody under 30 has no idea what I'm talking about, right? Christina's like, I have never seen You need to go see that? You have, oh, you've seen it? Oh, okay. Uh, so anyway, so Ben-Hur, he, he's Jewish. He gets captured. I can't remember exactly how, but anyway, he gets captured. Uh, and he winds up as a galley slave. So he is a slave on a Roman warship, and he's the one that's chained to the oars and rowing. And back then... Uh, naval battles, so they would the ships would ram each other, and uh, the ram was below the water, below the water level. So it would hit the hit the spot where the people were rowing. Uh, the slaves would be, they'd be the first ones killed, and you take out your enemy's propulsion. Uh, so anyway, so there's this battle scene, and uh, this happens. the The ship that Ben Hur is on gets rammed, and he and a Roman general are the only survivors. 
And so they're on this raft, or I forget what it was, piece of the ship, and they get rescued. And in gratitude, the Roman general adopts Ben-Hur. So he goes from being he goes from being the lowest slave in the Roman Empire, chained to a to an oar, to being the son of a general, and with all the privileges and all the rights and all the uh, that that entails. And so that's that's just a picture of what happens to us uh, when we're adopted, when we're adopted into God's family. And again, under Roman law, so if uh, a slave was going to be adopted or another person was going to be adopted, anything that that person being adopted owed would transfer to the person adopting them on when the adoption was completed. Um, adoption was a permanent arrangement. It could not be undone uh, once it was legally ratified. Uh, and that wasn't the case with uh, a natural-born son. So you could, you could disinherit if your son displeased you, uh, I don't know what the procedure was, but you could disinherit him. Uh, you could not do that with, with an adopted son. And so when Paul is writing that to uh, a Gentile audience in Galatians and Romans, and we're all Gentiles, right? I don't think any of us are of Jewish birth. Um, you know, that's what he's saying to us. <clears throat> this is a permanent arrangement. Uh, you're adopted into God's family. And um, that... Nothing can change that. So as part of the adoption, so, that, so that's good. We're adopted. That's a great thing. But not only are we adopted, that as we're adopted, we're heirs. Um, we're heirs of Christ. Romans 8.17 says, And if children heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Um, you know, sitting here, going into Thanksgiving week and and... We enjoy relative peace and prosperity, and I think sometimes we really don't get the weight of that. Sometimes we do, that we're going to be heirs with Christ. But again, in context, Paul was talking to uh, the church in Rome. And the church in Rome probably was not wealthy, probably was not affluent. I'm sure there were some uh, affluent people in it, but as a whole the church probably would have been on the lower socioeconomic scale. And, you know, you read some, uh, you read some things about Rome, and, and so if you, were on, you know, if you were in the 1%, life was great. You lived in a palace, you had chariots, and, uh, but if you didn't, uh, you lived in squalor. You lived in these, these apartments that were, were sewage, you know, people would pour their sewage out the window, and, and it's just horrible conditions. So... So to, to those people that are living like that, that are having to, to scrabble uh, just to survive every day, Paul says, you know what, look, you guys are heirs. You are heirs with Christ. You are heirs of all the riches, all heirs of everything uh, that heaven has. And uh, so what a promise, right? Uh, you know, Mike talked a couple of weeks ago about persecuted Christians. And one of the things that you hear uh, from Voice of the Martyrs and different organizations is that uh, not just this promise, but that's one of the things that keeps people going when they suffer years and years of captivity is the idea that uh, we're moving towards. I'm, I'm an heir of Christ. This, these chains, this is, not, this is not my life. This is not uh, what it is. And I'm moving towards a glorious future. Um, and so... 
you know, I think we need to think, we need to think, and we need to meditate on those things uh, more. Okay, uh, with adoption and, and heir, uh, we get access. We gain access to God. Uh, Ephesians: Once we were far off, but we've been brought near by the by the blood of Christ. And Hebrews four sixteen says, "Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace." Um, the King James Bible translates as, "Let us come boldly." And I like both translations, to be honest. Uh, that we can come with bold confidence to the throne of grace. I think a lot of times, maybe it's just me, um, is that when we come to pray, you know, we think God is perpetually disappointed uh, in us. So, uh, you know, sometimes we think we come to pray and, and God's rolling his eyes and he's like, oh, it's you again. You know, you didn't have a quiet time this week. Uh, you didn't witness to that guy I wanted you to. Um, you know, you were, you were harsh with your wife. You were harsh with your kids. What, what are you doing here? Why, why are you here? <clears throat> and that is, that's the opposite of what Scripture says. Um, you know, Scripture says to come boldly, to come boldly into the throne room. So not only can we come boldly, but we're coming to the throne room. So the throne room is the, the seat of power, right? Where, where God reigns supreme over the universe. So we can come there. And we can come there because we have the righteousness of Christ. And, sorry. and not only that, we're clothed with Christ's righteousness, but Christ is there. Christ is there sitting before the Father, so he's our advocate. So there's no reason for us not to come boldly. There's no reason for us not to just to rush in with our concerns. And, you know, what, what would our prayer lives look, look like? How would they be different if, if we really understood that, if we really grasped that? Um, what would our communities look like? What would, what would our church body look like, right, if we really got that? Now, I understand that, uh, you know, when you point a finger, there's three pointing back. And so, again, confession, I'm here to tell you that I don't pray like that all the time. Uh, you know, in fact, I struggle uh, to pray like that uh, quite frequently. Um, but just think about what a difference it would make. Okay, so we've talked about some privileges, uh, but along with privileges come responsibility. Right, parents? Can I get an amen from a parent, right? Yeah, all the kids are like, boo. Um, no, so uh, when, when you have privileges, you have responsibilities. And the greater your privileges are, the, the greater your responsibilities are. Um, I got this from a Puritan publication. It was published by a church in the 1900s. Um, the link is there on your study sheet. And, you know, you can almost never go wrong when you're reading the Puritans. I don't say never, because I suppose you could, but almost never. You can almost never go wrong uh, when you're reading Puritans, because they had a piety and a zeal for God and just an understanding of um, their sin and, and the grace of God that I don't think we do. Um, so anyway, this came out of this publication. And so they say the first uh, responsibility of a church member is to pray. We just talked about prayer. Um, talked about praying 
not only for individual church members, but to pray for the church as a whole, to pray for the mission of the church, uh, to pray for the kingdom to be expanded. Uh, we just prayed for Voice of the Martyrs, right? Uh, because that's our mission partner. We sent a while back, um, has it been two or three months now? That, so we sent one of our members out onto the mission field. Um, I know, rough, rough duty, uh, but somebody had to do it, I guess. Um, and so Scott is working with an organization that broadcasts uh, gospel materials into restricted countries. So, you know, as we're praying for Scott and as we're praying for Voice of the Martyrs and as we're praying for other people, we're participating with them in the work. Um, we're participating with, with the work that they're doing. And, and some of that fruit, some of that reward comes back uh, to our credit. Um, sorry. Um, Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the, the type and frequency of our prayers. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Uh, so pray at all times, pray all prayers, and pray for all the saints. So it's an easy way to remember that. And that just doesn't happen. You have to be intentional uh, about something like that. Uh, every month, Patty Ann puts together the prayer calendar. Uh, it's on our refrigerator, so every time we go to the refrigerator, we see it, and it's a reminder. And that's a really great way. It lists the prayer partners, and it lists every day of the month, it's got somebody's name to pray for. Uh, and that's a really great way to be intentional, to intentional about praying. Uh, I have an app on my phone. It's called Prayer Mate, and it's a free app. And it's these little cards that you can set up, and every day the cards pop up, and you pray for whoever the cards are that day. You can set it to be random or whatever. Um, there's all kinds of things. The, the point is not an advertisement for prayer, prayer mate. Um, it's just to be intentional about praying, because that's what we're commanded to do. Um, okay. Uh, the second duty of church members is, you guys ready? Attend church. Now that's some pretty deep Puritan theology right there, right? Uh, attend church. Uh, show up. Be here. Um, I know that sounds, uh, it sounds pretty basic, um, but church attendance is, I think, treated casually and uh, not given the attention that it needs to a lot of times. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24-25. It's probably one of the best-known passages on, on gathering together. Um, and says, uh, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, whatever you think of our uh, current cultural climate and whatever you think of uh, the way, uh, the direction that we're heading, we're one day closer to that day than we were yesterday, right? So that's all the more reason for us to gather together uh, to encourage one another. We just finished studying Acts, um, the book of Acts in Integrated Sunday School. And in Acts 
2.44, it talks about the early church attending temple together every day, uh, eating together every day. They had all things in common. So it, it's clear that you know, being together regularly um, for them every day, uh, that was an expectation uh, of the early church. It was an expectation that when, when there was a meeting, you were going to be there. You know, the local church is where, um, is where you hear the gospel preached. You hear it preached boldly and you hear it preached faithfully. Um, it's where you get sound doctrine. Uh, you know, I so appreciate Mike because, uh, not because, because he teaches more and I don't have to do it, but, um, but because Mike is, is, wants to preach sound doctrine. And, and we're so fortunate to have elders in this church that are committed to sound doctrine because, um, you know, that is not the case. We are more and more in the minority in that regard every day for teaching sound doctrine. But the local church is where you're going to hear sound doctrine. Um, the local church is the place where we can gather together, where we can celebrate uh, baptism, and where we can celebrate the Lord's table. Um, and we should celebrate those things. When somebody is baptized, we should have a party. We should, that should be a huge event that somebody is coming into our family. Somebody is, it should be just like the birth of a child where we, we pull out all the stops. Um, church is or should be where we can all come and we don't have to have our church face on. And, uh, you know, if you're having a bad day, that uh, you can say, I'm, I'm just really... I'm having a bad day. I'm, str- I'm struggling. Uh, you know, uh, my wife and I are like this. I, I, I want to adopt out my kids. Would somebody take them? Uh, you know, and life is just, it's just bad. And the church is where we should all be able to come and say that and, and somebody come alongside you and, and bear those burdens with you. Who said amen? Thank you. Right. Good. Um, okay, uh, the church is where we come to get prepared to do ministry, okay? Um, the church is not where uh, we expect Mike to do all the ministry or we expect Kent to do all the ministry. The, ch- the church is we come here, we learn, we sit under the word, and then we go out and we do the ministry. Um, here's what the, what the Puritans had to say, and then I'm going to hurry up for time. Um, Uh, let's see. It is the imperative duty of every professed follower of the Lord Jesus to attend upon all the services of the sanctuary when not prevented by obstacles which are insuperable. And I had to look that word up. It means insurmountable. Okay. Um, it is the spiritual home, and shall the children of the household desert it? We say to the members of the church, attend upon all the ordinances, and you honor the dear Lord whose dwelling place is there. Attend that you may cheer and help your brethren. Attend that your example may draw strangers to the sound of the gospel. Attend for your own spiritual profiting, which will be best promoted here. Attend that by your presence you may cheer and aid your pastor in preaching. The habit of attending upon the house of God should be so firmly established by every Christian that we would he would be sorely uncomfortable if compelled to be absent. So... Uh, you know, I think we could all use a little more Puritan ethic uh, about church attendance. 
Okay, a third. We're almost done. So there were nine. I pared it down to four. Uh, so you guys can thank me. Um, okay, a third duty uh, of church membership is to support the church monetarily. Um, where angels fear to tread, right? Okay, so anytime you talk to church folk about money, you're on dangerous ground. And I realize that. Uh, either people just tune you out or they accuse you of being legalistic. And I agree, I don't want to be legalistic, and you're not going to hear me uh, say that you should give a certain dollar amount or uh, even a certain percentage, okay? Uh, the scriptures say that everybody should give as they've determined in their own heart uh, because God loves a cheerful giver. But I just wanted to give us a couple of statistics. And you may have heard these. These are from 2009. I don't know how accurate they are um, anymore. The average evangelical gives between 2.6 and 3.7 to the local church in a year. So between 2.6 and 3.7. Uh, some people are going to spend that this week on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Okay, uh, And again... I'm not trying to guilt you into, into giving money to the church. Uh, Bob would love it, you know, if everybody just rushed back there and emptied their pockets, but that's not what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, if you, were, if you were Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Mark Cuban all rolled into one person and you gave every dime of that, I don't even know what that would be, whatever. Um, you gave every dime of that, that would still be just pocket change to God, okay? Uh, the point is not that God needs your money. Uh, we, uh, we, we just got a building, right, that, that we didn't pay for. So God doesn't need our money. Uh, the point is, is that our, our giving is often a reflection of our spiritual health. Okay? And that's one of the gauges of your spiritual health. And if, and if these statistics are correct, then we're, we're not that healthy of a people. Um, Okay, last one. Almost done. Um, okay, a fourth duty of church membership is to reproduce. And I'm not talking about having kids, uh, because I think this church does an amazing job of, of that kind of reproduction. Uh, so per capita, I don't know what that works out to, but uh, it, it's pretty high. Uh, no, this is a spiritual reprodu reproduction, okay? Uh, so it's the duty... Um, of all of us to, uh, to go out into the fields and to, uh, to gather the harvest, right? I said before, we come here and we get equipped. You hear the word. Uh, you go to Sunday school and you understand how to share the gospel. You understand the, the importance. You're in a home group and you're encouraging one another to go out and uh, to do that. Um, I just want to read something real quick. And here, this is what the Puritans had to say about it. Um, Every member of the church should aid in this blessed enterprise. What a privilege this is, even that of being a co-worker with Jesus in that undertaking upon which his heart was set. Every private member can help to fill up the church. Very much of the success of the church in this respect depends upon the people themselves. It is seldom that the minister can do it unless he is aided by them. The cooperation of both is needed in ordinary cases. Now, we just finished up integrated Sunday school, and we were going through the book of Acts, right? And uh, Acts is, the, the majority of Acts is talking about the ministry of, of Paul and of Peter. 
uh, and they're growing up the church. But there's also examples of what I would term ordinary, everyday Christians uh, spreading the gospel, being effective evangelists, and, and God honoring that and adding people to the church, right? Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, um, all those people. Um, did you guys know um, evangelism is as close to a sure thing as there is? You guys agree with that? No, you don't agree with that? Um, now that doesn't mean, Alan's giving me a look, um, that doesn't mean that everybody that you witness to is going to respond to the gospel. It doesn't mean that everybody you tell the gospel to is going to be saved. Um, but Matthew, in Matthew 9, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he says, uh, you know, the fields are white with the harvest, but the workers are few. So there are people within our spheres of influence that the Holy Spirit has already prepared to hear the gospel. There are people that are ripe uh, to go out there and be harvested. It's just for us to go out there and get them and bring them into the, bring them into the church. Um, so that's what I mean when, when it's a sure thing. Um, you can never go wrong evangelizing, right? The worst that is going to happen is the person is going to ignore you. Uh, the best that's going to happen is that person is going to respond to the gospel and, and be saved. Okay. I want to close. Uh, everybody can clap. I want to close um, with a quote. Again, this is not on your study sheet, so I apologize, Patty Ann. Um, close with a quote from Mark Deaver uh, from his book, The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Uh, Mark Deaver is a, a Baptist pastor, and he... Uh, ministers in Washington, D.C., Capitol Hills Baptist Church. And uh, you can actually see the Capitol building from his church building. And, and this is what he says. Um, if the church is a building, then we must be bricks in it. If the church is a body, then we are its members. If the church is the household of faith, then we are part of that household. Sheep are in a flock and branches are on a vine. Biblically, <clears throat> if we are Christians, we must be members of a church. This membership is not simply the record of a statement we once made or of affection toward a familiar place. It must be the reflection of a living commitment or it is worthless. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Uh, we do thank you for the church, dear God. We thank you that um, in your greatness and in your mercy, uh, Father, that you ordained the church, uh, that you give us a place in it, uh, Father, that we can partner with you. And uh, Father, I do pray uh, that we would take that uh, we take that seriously, dear God, that we would uh, enjoy all the rights and the privileges that come with being a member of your church, dear God, that we love each other. Um, your word says that that's one of the ways that people will know that we are disciples is by our love for one another. And so God, just let us, as we see our culture uh, going in a different direction, let us be more countercultural, dear God. Uh, let us be the church. Uh, let us be your body, dear God. And let us do it for your glory. Amen.